Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come into your presence thanking you for the privilege of being able to spend time in your word, thanking you that we can come as your people and gather together as a, in a manner like this without the fear of someone barging in and challenging us of our relationship with you. We thank you for the freedom we have, not just to study and to read your word, but to live your word. And we pray that as we do so, you would receive the honor and the glory. And now as we take this time, Father God, may our teacher, the Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and minds, speak to us. May we be receptive to hear what he has to say. And then, Father God, be doers of your word, for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Yes, please. My son told me this, this evening when I was doing some final preparations, he said, Daddy, why are you taking so long um, to prepare a message? As you know, a lot of people don't come out at night. It'd be a short service anyhow. So... I'll try to stick with his, um, his idea of being short tonight and being brief. But this evening, we want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, sorry. Titus chapter 2. Now, just to give us some history, we've been going through the book of Titus for a while. We're now finally in chapter 2. And Paul is continuing his instructions to Titus. When we looked at Titus chapter 1, Paul gave his general introduction. He explained why Titus was in Crete. He said he wanted to put things in order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. He then went on to explain about these qualifications of these men who were supposed to be elders. And then he talked about a problem they had in Crete. This is a serious problem in Crete. False teachers. And he hits on it very hard in First. In Titus chapter 1. Then as he goes into Titus chapter 2, he begins Titus chapter 2 by saying this. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. But what is he making reference to? Why did Paul make the statement to Titus? Let's go to Titus chapter 1. And let's look what he says as he wraps up. He says... To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. He says, they profess to know God. They tell you with their mouths that this is who they are. And this is what they believe. But their works, their works, ye shall know them by their works. Their works, they deny him by their works. That was a serious statement to make about an individual. You tell me, you say you know me. 
You tell me you love me. Need I love you? But do your works testify of the truth of the statement? You say that you'll never leave me. But do your actions testify of that? The question is, and to us this evening, do our works line up with our profession? Can we honestly say that we are professing ourselves as Christians and we are in fact living that way? This evening, Calvary, I want to talk to you as a family. We're family here, right? And we've been here for, our family's been here for a short time comparatively, but I believe Calvary to be my home. We are all members, family members here. And I want to challenge us and encourage us. We need to ensure that our actions line up with our professions. And we need to do this because it is critical to our ability to be able to speak, to name, to tell of Jesus Christ. Our testimony, our witness, the, the reliability of God's word, the, the name of God, the family of God is being impacted if our speech doesn't line up with our works. Let's look at Second Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus chapter 2. He starts off, Titus, but as for you, you are to teach what accords with sound doctrine. You need to teach what lines up, what reflects sound doctrine. He was encouraging Titus, listen, you're in a difficult situation. There are false teachers. Individuals are knocking left, right, and center, drawing the people of God away, destroying homes. You need to make sure that when you get up there and speak, whatever you say is truth. It's sound. It's concrete. It's not hollow. It's not empty. You've got to give the people of God solid meat, sound doctrine. And he says this sound doctrine must be taught because this sound doctrine must be something he teaches. He must expound on it consistently. Not like the false teachers. They didn't teach sound doctrine. They didn't teach what was true. They didn't teach what was right. And one thing I like about this text, Paul seemed to know what was happening in Crete. Because when you look at this text, the text has an air of intimacy. It's like he knew what was going on. When you look at this text, he speaks to issues and situations specifically. Like he was saying, Brother Ron, as an older man in the church, this is how you live. Sister so-and-so, as an older woman in the the church, this is how you should live. He was, I get the impression, he was thinking specifically of a situation or situations that he had encountered either when he was in Crete or as he was passing through. And he said, now Titus, I left you here to put these things in order, to remind these specific individuals. And he starts off with the first group of men. He says, older men, you are to be sober-minded. You are to be serious. You are to be mature. When he speaks to the older men, and you think of older men, older godly men, what, what do you expect from them? Do you expect them to be players? Should they be the ones that are in the church hitting on the young ladies? Should they be the ones that are, that are around, as they say, going through their midlife crisis and, and driving the fancy cars? You look at an older man as a fellow who's supposed to be 
settled, serious, sound, grounded, firm. This is a, this is a man you can look up to. This is the example that is supposed to be left in the church. He says, your older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. They should not be giving into the passions of youth. This brother is supposed to have these things under control. He's been seasoned with years in the word of God, seasoned with putting the principles of God in practice. He is to be self-controlled. He is to be sound, grounded, healthy in his faith, what he believes, in his love, and and in his steadfastness. This is man who is supposed to be patient. All around, a settled, dignified, godly man. Someone we all should be able to look up to. He says that is the character. And that, those qualities, he says, those attributes line up with sound doctrine. These are the qualities that our older men should be demonstrating that say this is what we believe, this is what we profess, and this is what we look like. And this image should line up with the profession. We should see this in our older men. He said... They should be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He said, the older women, likewise. He continues on with the older women. He said, you older women, like the older brothers, who are pious and serious, so should you be. You should not be the one in church wearing the, 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 the skirt. The, the skirt. I'll leave it at that. The skirt. You shouldn't be the, the lady in the church that is not self-controlled. He says, you as an older woman, likewise to be dignified. You should carry yourself in a certain manner. You shouldn't be over the church. And he talks about it. Dignified in behavior. Not slanderers. Not gossipers. Not, not talkers going around spreading gossip. Spreading rumors. These are women who are supposed to have their tongues under control. Or slaves to much wine. And evidently back then, Paul says to older women, with the time on their hand, you still drink a little bit. And evidently, not a little bit. He said, not to be given what? Slaves to much wine. So they should drink a lot of wine. But guess what? This again lines up with the older men. The older men are supposed to be self-controlled. The older women are supposed to be self-controlled. They're not supposed to be controlled by wine. They're supposed to be dignified. You're supposed to see a woman who has her life in order. Once again, Paul is not talking about perfection. He's not expecting you to be perfect. But these are the qualities and attributes we should be striving for and demonstrating in our Christian lives if we say this is what we profess. And now we get to the touchy subject. This is an interesting one because it's amazing. Pastors tend not to like to touch this one. The younger women. There always is an issue they say in churches, because the churches are primarily filled with women. And so a lot of the pastors don't want to touch the issue of women because they don't want to get 95, 75% of the congregation angry at them. But we're going to look and see what God's word says. Amen? Not what the pastor says, but let's look at what God's word says. He says these older women have a ministry. Not only are you supposed to be living a certain way, You're supposed to be involved in ministry. Your job as an older woman, a woman who has been through it, a woman who has experienced it, who has seen God work, 
a woman who has, can give credit to what God can do in their life, you are to teach these younger women. And it says to teach them something, what? It is what? What's the word they use there? To teach them what is? Good. Good. Not evil. And guess what? You could sit down with the sisters and say, come, sit down, let's talk. Well, you see what happened in church with brother so-and-so. That's not what you to teach the younger women. You to teach the younger women what is good. And he says, specifically, Paul seems to be speaking to the context of the home. Another area where women, we are very touchy on dealing with. Because a lot of women today are out working. That is the reality of some women's situations. Some have to work. Some work because they have to. Some work because of choice. But Paul says, no matter what your situation, he says, older women are to teach the younger women to, sorry, what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. When I look at the word love, I thought, I think it's agape love. And when I looked at the word love, it wasn't agape love. The love, it stressed affection, care, tenderness, warmth of feeling. The older women are to teach the young women how to care for their husbands. You've been through it, sister. You know how the fella could be. You know how the the fella needs. And these younger women, they don't know. Some of them don't know, you know. So I had to say, some of them don't even know they don't know. They watch, and that's the sad thing. They watch the TV. They watch the, the, um, the, 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 the talk shows. They watch the, the programs that come on during the day. And what do they get from that picture? This is how men and women relate. This is how relationships occur. They watch these things and they believe this is what love is all about. This is how you love your husband. But we've got to say, no, 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 no. That's not how it is. Scripture tells you, and these older women, based on scripture, based on sound doctrine, should be able to teach these young women how to love their husbands, how to care for their children, how to be what? Care for their children. Also, these younger women, how to be self-controlled. I mean, back to the issue again. Everyone in their own sphere of life needs to know how to control themselves, how to demonstrate self-discipline, old and young. We need to be able to keep ourselves under control. They also to be pure. When I said pure, what, what, clean? No. Chaste, virtuous, pure from any unlawful sexual intercourse. I get back to the point. Why is Paul putting these specific things in his letter to Titus? What was going on in Crete? That he had to tell the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be pure. What was happening in Greek? What were the messages that were being taught by these false teachers that he had to emphasize that? Something was happening. Some women, according to this text, it says self-control, working at home. They weren't taking care of the home which is a woman's, a mother's primary responsibility. And once again, when we say that, the first thing we jump to is, well, I don't you mean I gotta stay home and, 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 and just because my wife is at home, doesn't mean your wife has to be at home. Amen? 
Yeah, nobody says amen to that one. But you make your decision. You make your choice. But you've got to be prepared to realize that even though that is the decision you've made, it does not negate your biblical responsibility to be a keeper at home. A keeper at home. Kind and submissive to your own husband. I get back to that point again. What was happening in Crete? Maybe. Remember now, when we look at chapter 1, it says that these false teachers were teaching in such a way that they were causing the destruction of entire homes. Remember? Verse 11. Teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to. They are upsetting whole families. Imagine that. The fellow telling you, listen to your husband, man. You're a Christian anyhow. You check for him. I used to pastor. I know what's going on. And the amazing thing is, sad to say, I hear in my profession on the job, I hear similar stories. Young lady decides, listen, I go in a church. I don't care what the fellow say. Pastor say this. Pastor say that. But you neglect your responsibilities at home. Once again, this is not my words, but the Bible says this woman should be submissive to her own husband. And it gives the first reason why. And Paul ties it to this young woman. Paul did not write this out of the blue. He was directed by God. This is what we believe. We believe scriptures were written as people of God were led by the Holy Spirit. You agree? So the way this text is written was not an accident. You agree? You agree? So why did Paul tie this important statement to a woman living this way? Listen to what he says. This woman should be submissive to her own husband that the word of God may not be reviled. If a Christian mother does not live according to the principles of God's word, sound doctrine, People are going to look at her life, watch how she treats her husband, watch how she treats her children, watch her attitude of kindness, her submissiveness to her own husband, and they're going to say, excuse me, this is what God's word teaches? This is what it means? This stuff is a joke. This means nothing. Because evidently you're professing that this is what you believe, this is what you live by, but I'm watching your life. And imagine the impact it will have on those who are near you. Your family members who watch you and say, excuse me, bro, as an older man, this is how you conduct yourself? This is how the older women conduct themselves? This is how the young women conduct themselves? And you all say you all are what? Christians? And you all go to what church? Calvary Bible? And that stuff fell out, pastor leaves, teach by Sunday, solid stuff, man. But if you all getting solid stuff, how come I don't see solid living? The word of God is now reviled. He said, likewise, urge the younger men to be once again self-controlled. Show yourself, show yourself, Timothy Titus. Show yourself in all respects as a young man to be a model of good works. When I came to this one, this was the, this was the slap in my face. A model. The one author says that when they talk about the model of good works. 
It's an example, an exhibit. It means an impress of a die. When someone takes a die and they impress it in that wax, you see an exact replica, a duplicate of the die. We are supposed to be an example of good works. We are supposed to be a model. Those of us young men who choose to take on the responsibility of ministering God's word, which should not be taken lightly, must realize that the same word we teach is the word we must live. And we must live it as an exact replica, sound. He says, listen, show yourselves a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, truthfulness. In your teaching, show dignity, seriousness. So when we talk about God's word, I shouldn't come up here constantly joking. This is serious business. Life and death are determined by how people choose to respond to God's word. And if these women are not living right, the word of God is going to be reviled. People are going to laugh at it. They're not going to take it seriously. He says, but you, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech, solid, not hollow, not joking, serious, sound speech that cannot be condemned. When we as men of God come to share God's word with you, Scripture says we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that don't need to be ashamed. I shouldn't be fearful because I have taken the time to rightly divide the word of truth. And the serious admonishment in this text to me and others is this. If we don't treat the word of God seriously and have the right attitude toward it, if we don't treat it with dignity and show integrity in our lives toward the word of God, if our speech is not sound, then it says, speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. If I don't do and live what I preach, I give the enemy, I give the false teachers, I give individuals who are opponents to the faith in the kingdom of God, I give them the ability to talk bad about all of us. I make us look bad. If I don't live what I preach, then people are going to say, you know what? And that's the same fellow who goes to church with brother so-and-so. All them like that. Because if the preacher like that, you know I had go now. If he preaching foolishness, all them falling the same foolishness. I need to ensure, of all people, I need to ensure my life is lived in line with the word of God. Sound in speech that cannot be condemned so that the opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And our bond servants, slaves, or in our case, workers, are to be submissive to their own masters, willingly choosing to come under the authority of your boss. 
submissive to your own masters in everything. Now, he's not asking you to do anything evil. Because there are other doctrinal principles that speak to how we are to conduct ourselves. But if your boss gives you something that you should do that lines up with your responsibilities, with what he's paying you for, then your responsibility is to do it. And to do it in a manner that shows submissiveness. That, say, they are to be well-pleasing. Do your job that your boss likes it. It shouldn't be half-stepping. You shouldn't be just doing enough. Me and my son always have that kind of discussion. I said, Jonathan, you can't just get by. And some of us, that's how we do our work. Just enough to be able to tell the boss, I did it, eh? And you wanted me to move it? But it ain't straight. But you didn't tell me you wanted it straight. You just wanted it moved. And that's enough. I did my job. And we go to work like that. The boss says to dig. Now you know what he wanted to do. He said dig the hole. He didn't tell me anything else. So I dug the hole. And I waited and sat there for three hours until he gave me further instructions. But you knew he wanted to go from here to there, but he didn't tell me that. Well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Not argumentative. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. That's one of the favorites in our home. Do all things without murmuring or complaining. And oh, we could rob the boss now. Because we always know better. Scripture says we aren't to be argumentative. I'll leave that one. It also says, not pilfering, not sh- but showing all good faith. Not pilfering. It literally means to put on one side for yourself. You see, this isn't a big thieving we do. Some of us, you know, we don't do that. We don't go to embezzle. We don't go and take the truck. Well, some of us may do that. But anyhow, you take the vehicle. No, 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 no. We normally steal in the small things. Yeah. We steal by just coming a little bit late and leaving a little bit early. Do a little bit here and there. We need a couple of pencils at home. You know, the kids got school and it don't make no sense to me going out and buying no pencils. I could, the boss got a couple. Let me come on, man. They got a whole pack. Well, I mean, who can know I carry three pencils home? You recording this, Nathan? <laughs> I was going to make reference to a situation on my employment, but simple things. When someone says, you know what, um, I can carry home a can of WD-40 for my thing I do, a little project at home. Ooh, that's your can of WD-40? Why you didn't do? Listen, this company got money, they ain't going to miss that. Simple things that we do. But guess what? People are watching. I told someone the other day, you know secrets in this little country. People know you're carrying stuff home. People know they're coming late. They know you're leaving early. They know you're dashing off and taking an extra half an hour to pick up the kids from school and coming back to late. But you're getting paid for that. They know you got someone punching the clock for you to make sure you ain't late. They know what we're doing. And they're watching us. And they're seeing what we're doing. And guess what? You know what we're doing? We're making God look bad. We're making God look bad. The Bible says these individuals are not to pilfer, but to show all good faith, to demonstrate that what I believe, I live it out in my life. So that in everything I do, I may adorn the doctrine of God my Savior. I want to make God look good. 
They said when you adorn the doctrine of God, it's like taking a jewel and putting it in a setting to make it look good. A diamond doesn't look just right, but when you put that diamond in a ring surrounded by that gold and it looks... When we live right on the job as servants, as workers, we adorn the kingdom of God. We adorn God our Savior. We make God look good. But when we don't, when we don't, we make God look bad. This is what we do. And we do it in the small ways. When you look at this text, it's not big things, you know. This isn't, this isn't and stealing. You know, you know, here these, what we call the big sins. There's no murder in here. It's simple stuff. Self-control. Discipline. Being serious. These are the things scriptures say we're supposed to be. And if we're not, we make the kingdom of God. We make the people of God. We make the word of God look bad. And we have no excuse. Because the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly lust so that we can live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Our Heavenly Father sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give us the ability to do and live right, to demonstrate good works. So we have no excuse. He says, we are waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And we are excited to do it because we're looking forward to his return and we want to hear from him. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We're doing it because he gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are excited about good works. Excited to make God look good. That's what he did. And we're special. It says he redeemed us, bought us back, paid a price for us. And after all of that, couldn't we at least do good? Make him look good? He tells Titus, finally, Titus, when you get a chance, you got to tell him. Declare it. Just in case you know you got difficulty, man, Titus, you got to push it. You got to exhort it. You got to teach it. You got to emphasize it. You got to let him know, listen, man, you've got to live good. You've got to show good works. We got to demonstrate to these people what we say is exactly what we believe. We got to demonstrate to them we are not like these false teachers who make a profession, but their works deny it. You say, let them know, let them know, man, let them know. And then for those individuals who say, that don't mean nothing to me, I don't care. You say, now you got to rebuke. Rebuke. And he said, rebuke with all authority, with the word of God behind you. You've got to let them know that's not godly living. That is not good works. And you're making God look bad. That's our responsibility. This lines right back up with those men. This is why it is so important to have qualified men leading in your church. Because when you go back to Titus chapter 1, one of the responsibilities of an elder is to rebuke those who contradict 
When people get up in your church and preach contrary to sound doctrine, you've got to have men who prepare to say, listen, no, 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 no. It don't go like that. It doesn't happen like that. That's not what God's word says. And be prepared to take a stand. And guess what? With all authority. When they come to you, no, no, no. And hey, hey, Titus, don't let them disregard you. Don't let them reprove you. Don't let them ignore you. Don't let them get away with it. Uh Uh-uh. Young man, take your stand. When you stand for God, take your stand. Don't let, that's why he tells them. That's why he tells them. Listen, you got to live in such a way that they don't have anything to say. So when they take a stand, they don't have no proof. They have no evidence. And what they say don't really make no sense. Because that's not what you do. Because what you preach and what you live is the same thing. Calvary, we're a family. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have a biblical responsibility first to God and to one another. You need to hold one another accountable. The brother talked about it this morning. He talked about accountability. Do you have someone who holds you accountable? Someone who could tell you, listen bro, mm-mm, you ain't living right. You ain't doing right. That's not the way you should be conducting yourself. That's the line of its own doctrine. Do we have those kind of people in our lives? People who can hold us accountable. Because if we don't live right, if our profession doesn't line up with what we do, we make God look bad. And i got to be honest with you. Imagine standing before a holy God who sent his only son to die on the cross to give you salvation and the means by which you can live a godly life and demonstrate good works. And at the end of the day, you make the choice because it's a choice. He wouldn't have asked him to do it if it wasn't a choice. The choice to do good works. We're a family. Let's work together. Let's encourage one another to do good works that our Heavenly Father may look good. Persons will glorify him. See our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.